by Pastor Erwin Lutzer, who pastored the historic Moody Church in Chicago from 1980 to 2016, 36 years. If you've ever listened to Songs in the Night, he's the one that does Songs in the Night. And so he uh, had really good, uh, obviously a very theologically sound book. And I'm using part of that uh, for this series. Actually, I borrowed this title as one of his chapter titles, The Descent into Gloom. And so we find in John 3.36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I mean, the Lord is reading through his word from John chapter 3, verse 36. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, help me this morning as I speak. I would say nothing amiss. I pray that you help my voice to remain strong. Be with those teaching downstairs. Thank you that you came down from the glory an ever-living story. Our God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. And so, Lord, we're thankful that you came, that we might have life everlasting. If there be even one person under the sound of my voice listening in person or later on through a podcast or on a CD, and they do not have that relationship with you, I pray that you speak to their heart. Lord, it's the Word of God that brings conviction and power. So may your Word find lodging. May we learn together, and may we be challenged as to the need of the people those who do not know you yet as Savior. So, Lord, help us to be witnesses for you. May this spur us on to do more for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was a, a book of yesteryear, I would guess maybe four to five hundred years old. I, I actually downloaded it for 99 cents. It's called Dante's Inferno. And so the, one of the phrase, one, there's different adaptations, different translations, renderings. But one says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. He gets to the, going down into going down to the earth, and the sign above says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Another one said, Leave every hope, ye who enter. And so those who go down to the place we would call hell today, then later on the lake of fire, they're really, it's, it's abandonment of hope because there is no hope. Uh, the desire is not to discourage the desire. Number one, if you do not know Christ, my desire is that you look clearly at the Savior and receive Him. Secondly, that we will be challenged to, in love, share this wonderful news that no one has to go. There's an opportunity. Jesus is the way. The way of the cross leads home. At the cross, at the cross is where you're going to receive your spiritual sight when you, by grace through faith, place your faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. If you've not done that, do it right now in your seat and then come at invitation time and let us know what you have done or perhaps you have done that but not let us know. Let me know because some I pray for you, some of you there I pray for every day that you'd receive Christ because I don't know that you've done that yet. And so if you have, please, the pastor just wants, if I'm one of those ones you're praying for, I have done that. And so just let me know. I, I, with my heart, I, honestly, I want you to receive Christ and this message series is about those who do not know Christ to be brought up short, if you would. We need to receive Christ. I was uh, reading from one pastor. He said this regarding preaching on hell. He said, too often we want to appear more moral than God. Too often in outreach-focused churches, we feel the need to acquiesce, to give in to the avalanche of pluralistic pressure to back off this key doctrine. However, he tells pastors, he says... If you really love your people, at some point you'll completely tell the truth to them, even if you risk having them walk out of your church doors. And the truth is, we there is a hell to shun. And if you do not know Christ as Savior, you're going to be there. Now, do many people think? No. Barna Research, I mentioned it last week, most Americans do not expect to experience hell firsthand. Just one half of 1% 
expect to go to hell upon their death. Nearly two-thirds of Americans, 64%, believe they will go to heaven. And one in 20 adults, 5%, claim they will come back as another life form while the same proportion, 5%, contend they will simply cease to exist. We call that annihilationism or etc. You can call it different terms, but it's not biblical. There was a pastor who received a call from a distraught family and wanted the minister to do a very quick funeral. He was told in a matter-of-fact way, we do not want anything religious. Nothing you will do will be too short. A little later, the pastor learned the family was indeed not religious. The father who died suddenly had never attended church. They did not believe in God. The only reason they had a minister in the first place, they thought it was something they had to do in some respect. And even though the deceased man had made millions of dollars in the shipping industry, it was a funeral of hopelessness. The minister wondered, what would be seen if this family could look beyond the curtain? If, you, if we had a big curtain here and we, we parted the curtain of death, what is behind that curtain? Well, many people might try channeling or might try reincarnation or say near-death experiences, but those aren't biblical ways to look behind the curtain of death. So we're going to search the scriptures. I trust you have your dialing fingers ready and a, a copy of God's word in front of you. I was listening to Pastor Broggy, uh, the church my wife and I have attended at least three times, I think, now down in South Carolina, a church of many thousands. They have an entire campus. He has a great ministry. He said, but you know, only half the people that come to my church carry Bibles. So he says, come tonight, 530, meet the pastor and you'll receive a free Bible. And so he gets a lot of people to come to meet the pastor, and they have people join the church, and they have a, a wonderful, wonderful missions ministry. He has been to Ukraine 40, four zero times in ministry, and he is uh, a well-traveled, but uh, excellent preacher, very long, uh, but excellent preacher, very enjoyable. And but anyway, only ha- I was a surprise. I said, I'm thinking to myself as I'm listening to the podcast, either this week or last week, I truly hope the folks at Little Sandy, we have a better percentage than half, I think we do, bring their Bibles. If you don't bring your Bible, please start bringing your Bible or, or bring it on your tablet or something and follow along. It really honestly helps you to see on the page you're witnessing to someone. The Bible says right here in Romans 3.23, For all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Read it for yourself. Oh, and, and the wages of sin is death. Read it for yourself. It really does help you to have the Word of God in front of you. Now, when Adam and Eve, back to our text, we're back on the main line. What was a spur? Back on the main line. Now, we are well aware that death, death comes as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. They disobeyed. They died spiritually, began to die physically. And if they were not being reconciled to God, they would have died eternally, an eternal death in a place called hell. They would have died like a fire. They got right with God, reconciled with God. And you understand that. God offered, there was a forgiveness offered through the blood of, of the uh, sheep, whatever animal was slain, <clears throat> there was, and they were given coverings. First of all, two main points, the Sheol of, of the Old Testament time, and then there's going to be Hades of the New Testament time. So the Sheol, and about 65 times in the Old Testament, <clears throat> I have the throat scourge, I'm sorry about that, I know it sounds gravelly, and you can pray that it continues on, it doesn't get gravelier. <clears throat> My cat's probably used to my gravel voice already, so there we are. 65 times in, the, in our King James, or authorized version of the Bible, we have this word, uh, Sheol, translated 31 hell, 31 grave, and three times the pit. Now elsewhere, Sheol could clearly distinguish between hell like a fire. Now in our text, text of Scripture, our King James Version, sometimes Hades is 
called hell, and sometimes the lake of fire is rendered as hell, but there's two different places. Haiti is the, I mentioned last, is, we don't call, now it's no, it's far worse, than, the jails are bad, but the Hades, in the sense of the jail, is a temporary holding place. And in longevity time, then the penitentiary would be the lake of fire. Now, I know that it's far worse than our jails. Now, there's, we talked about one with uh, Derek afterwards. The, hell, the jails are terrible places in, in, in across the world. But Hades is the temporary holding place. The uh, lake of fire is going to be the permanent abode from which there is no getting out of. And so, Sheol and Hades as Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes, again, hell is referred to or called Hades, and sometimes the Greek word Gehenna is also rendered as hell in our New Testament scriptures. Now, also, secondly, is Sheol is not just the grave. It's not just the plot or, or the sea or wherever it is. It's far more than just the grave area, or perhaps a, a monument, or perhaps there was a tomb on top of the ground, or there was the, the catacomb. It's far more than that, the Sheol. So in the context, it includes the concept of the grave, yes, but it seems clear in the Old Testament that Sheol went far beyond the grave to a conscious afterlife. And so we believe that there's going to be a conscious afterlife for every single human being. Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to a Christless eternity, I believe you're going to be conscious forever. We talked about last time about universalism, that everybody will be in heaven. Well, that's not biblical. And the other was annihilationism, that only uh, if you're really bad you simply or don't receive Christ, you're going to be annihilated and cease to exist. That's very convenient, but it's not biblical at all. We are going to spend somewhere for eternity. So Sheol Old Testament is far more than the grave plot. My, my parents, my both my grandparents are all six in a row outside of Richmond, Ohio, at the cemetery there. When the Lord comes back, there's going to be boom, 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 boom. Up there we go. And they're going to, that grave. It's going to be a happening place, isn't it? Aren't the grave? I don't know how exactly that's going to work. But the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And up they go. Up from the grave. He arose. And up from the grave, they're going to rose. And if I die and pass away before the rapture of the church, up from the grave, I'll arise. It's going to be a happening place. It really is. It's going to be exciting. Four things about the S-H-E-O-L, if you want to write it down in your notes. First of all, there's a clear distinction as you're turning to Isaiah 14, a clear distinction between the grave where the body rests and Sheol where the spirits and souls of the dead gather. Isaiah chapter 14, please. Isaiah 14. While we're par- we need to park for just a moment, put a little pause here and talk about trichotomy and dichotomy. If you are a trichotomist, you believe that there are, is the body, the soul, and the spirit. If you're a dichotomist, you believe there's a body, and the soul and spirit are synonymous one with another. So trichotomy, you believe that there is a body, a soul, and a spirit. If you're a dichotomist, you believe there's a body, and the soul and spirit are one. I will not follow it whatever way I want to choose. I think of it as a trichotomy because an animal has a body, an animal also has emotions, but the animal does not have the eternal spirit that I have. So I think of it as trichotomous, but certainly if you want to say the soul and spirit are synonymous, you are certainly welcome to do that. That's a dichotomist. The trichotomist, body, soul, and spirit, three separate entities if you want within the human being. Now, so all the gold, although the graves are shallow in the earth, perhaps six feet under, look what it says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9. This is a picture of a slain king being welcomed, the Sheol Hades. It says, Hell, Sheol, 
Very first word. From beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirs up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth it has raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? The pomp is brought down to the grave, Sheol, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Brought down. Sheol is, is not some non-personal thing. There's activity going on. They are, in essence, welcoming another member, if you would. We are just talking yesterday with someone about how many today the, 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 uh, the, the word has gotten around, sort of, that you can live, uh, you can live for yourself and die and go to hell, and there's going to be a big party there. And there's going to be some really mean, and you're going to be one of the mean ones down there. I'm telling you, when you meet Goliath and his four brothers, you're not quite going to be as mean as you think you're going to be because they're like six foot nine or nine foot six each, probably like, and they're, they're the champion basketball. It's even crazy. That's not even biblical. Biblical is the lake of fire is a burning star in total blackness and total pain forever. Read the book of Jude. It's not some happy-go-lucky place where people are going to live and have all. It's not at all. There's none of that. That's man's trying to pass over and, and, and rubber stamp or, or gloss over what reality is. Suffering. So Sheol is not just an impersonal place. There's activity, and they're going down. Secondly, Sheol, Old Testament, often spoke as a dark, shadowy place. Shall we look at Job 26, please? Job 26 tonight, by the way, we start our, our ongoing saga through the book of Job. Trust you come out tonight. Please don't be discouraged and say, oh my goodness. Wow, are we going to look through that? It's an absolutely amazing book. You should hear what the people say about the book of Job. Uh, just outside, even people outside believers. We'll talk about that tonight. Job chapter 26, verse 5. Spoken of a shadowy place, this place of shield. 26, verse 5, it says, For us dead things are formed. From under the waters and the inhabitants thereof, hell, Sheol is naked before him and destruction hath no covering. We find that even the invisible things are clearly seen by God in Psalm 139. In Ezekiel it says, When I shall bring thee down with them that descend into the pit with the people of old time and shall set thee in the low parts of the earth and places desolate of old and with them that go down to the pit. And thou shalt be inhabited, and it shall set glory in the land of the living. It's a shadowy place of darkness. It's not part of our current existence. I don't believe. Now, we know Jules, Jules Verne wrote this very famous, uh, very interesting journey to the center of the earth. I'm telling you, Jules Verne did not talk about this place in his book. We know, by the way, you cannot go down. We understand it. But it's, a, it's, a, it's very captivating, but it's not real to life. I was just reading the devotional this morning. Did you read the devotional this morning by John Morris, who, by the way, went home to heaven about three weeks ago, John Morris of ICR fame. He said only about 1% of the Earth's radius has been explored. 1% of the radius now, circumference is like this. Radius is straight through. 1% of the earth's radius have been explored. A great devotional. Talks about how God will never leave his people Israel. But that, but the, Jules Verne did not find that. But there's Tolkien said there and back again, a hobbit's tale. I'm telling you, the hobbit did not go to this place the Bible describes in, in, in Old Testament time. Thirdly, after death, one can be united with his ancestors in Sheol, Old Testament Sheol. Please take your Bibles now in Genesis, please, 15, 
15. Genesis 15, 15. After death, one can be united with ancestors in Sheol. So it's a clear distinction between the grave, the body, and Sheol where spirits gather. It's not part of this existence. And thirdly, Sheol can, a place where they can be united with their ancestors. Genesis chapter 15 to Abram. Not yet Abraham. Abram says, Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Don't be a reuniting. Look please at 25, 8. Same book. 25, 8. 25, verse 8. 25, verse 8. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. An old man. How old was he? 175. When 175, Abraham, I think he was. Uh, and find that a good old age and full of years and was gathered to his people. Chapter 25, verse 17. And these years are the years of life of Ishmael. 130 and seven years old. And he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people. 35, 29. 35, 29. 35, 29. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being, full, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Genesis 49, 33. 49, 33. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet unto his bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered where? Unto his people. So obviously, Old Testament time, when they passed on, they didn't go up to heaven like people do today. They went down, I believe, fairly clearly from Scripture, Sheol, there was a good side and there was a bad side. It went down to, we call it even, whose bosom? Abraham's bosom. He went down to the happy side. I like what Philip says, the happy side of Hades or Sheol. That's where they went in the Old Testament era. Is there anybody there now? We'll talk about that in just a few moments. The clear implications are that there will be a reunion of some kind in the world beyond. We know the word Sheol, it would seem, unmistakably refers to the realm of departed spirits, not just the literal grave plot where people's bodies are laid to rest. Far more than that. All did not have the same experience, however. Some went down to gloom. I find in Psalm 73, 23, Asaph says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, what? Receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. So the author Asaph was expected to see the glory of God afterward receive me to glory. A happy side of Hades with Sheol. And fourthly, there are hints in the Old Testament that Sheol has two different regions. I have already alluded to that. Let's look at Numbers, please. Chapter 16, if you would. Number 16, if you would there, please. Number 16. Both the wicked and the righteous are said to go to Sheol. We've talked about in Genesis, those, the righteous one, were gathered to their people, if you would. Numbers chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 30, if you would there, please. Jacob went to Sheol, but so did some rebellious people. Gen, uh, Numbers 16, verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing in the, whole, or in the earth, open her mouth and swallow them up. These were being rebellious, these men. Dothan and, Korah, Dothan and Korah. Swallow the up, them up and all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick. Now quick means living into the pit. Then you shall understand that these men had provoked the Lord. Verse 33. They and all that appertain to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. 
So there were the, the good side, if you would, the family, the patriarchs of Genesis. However, these men also went down into the pit. It wasn't when you died Old Testament time that you were promoted to heaven. That did not happen Old Testament time. I like what Henry Morris says regarding this. The word for pit here is the word Sheol, which is the equivalent of Hades, commonly translated hell in the New Testament. So that this event was no ordinary earthquake, but was indeed a new thing. Korah and his father's followers descended quick, that is, alive, deep into the city, great cavity at the center of the earth where the spirits of the lost, both men and angels, are now confined. I remember a story from a long time ago. I don't know, I can't say the veracity of it. But they, were, they had drilled so far down into the earth that they heard noises and cries. I don't know if that's even true or not. But it was. But I really believe that hell today, is, if you kept going straight down, you would find it eventually at some, point, at some place inside the center of our earth. That's why it's so necessary for a new heaven and a new earth. One that does not have any sin lingering in it. So if hell cannot be in the center of the new earth because that would be sinful thing. In Deuteronomy, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell, Sheol, and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. The two compartments, I think, are best explained uh, by that there are two different inhabitants. Look with me now at Psalm 49, verse 13, if you would there, please. Psalm 49, verse 13, that there are two compartments is because there's two inhabitants. You hold on to your hat there. I think it'll all come together, Lord willing, by uh, by one o'clock today. Oh, the clock. Oh, by twelve o'clock today. Okay. Uh, Forty-nine thirteen. This their way is their folly. Yet their prosperity approve their saying. Selah. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, or Sheol, for He shall receive me. Two groups there. And then also remember in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there seems to clearly be two groups of people. And by the way, that is biblical. There are the saved and there are the lost. There are just two, two groups of people. You're either one or not in between. I'm, well, I'm becoming. Someday I'll be able to be saved. No, you either are or you aren't. Who are you trusting today for salvation? If I were to ask you at this very moment, what are you trusting? Who are you trusting? You stand before the gate of heaven. Which, again, that is not, not biblical, but you're, let's say you're standing before God. Why should I let you in? What would you, what would you say? Well, I place my faith and trust in Jesus alone as my Savior. That's what you want. I'm here by grace through faith, by His marvelous. That's what would need to have, be have done. Explicit reference here in the New Testament, then, to the doctrine of the resur resurrection in Daniel. Some awake to everlasting contempt, some to everlasting life. So in summary, the Old Testament makes a sharp distinction between the wicked and the righteous when they leave the earth going down into Sheol. And Rabbi uh, doesn't say expressly in the Old Testament, clearly stated in salient, succinct words, but taking the whole picture of, of the Old Testament. I believe there's two compartments. Now, Mike Baer, Dr. Baer would disagree with me on this point. I believe there's two compartments, the old, the ones who were saved and those who were unsaved, awaiting resurrection. Oh, B.B. Warfield says, Israel, from the beginning of its recorded history, cherished the most settled conviction of the pre-existence of the soul in 
in life after death. The body is laid in the grave and the soul departs for Sheol. So the body is in the grave. There's no soul sleep. There's no soul sleep. But in other words, there's some that believe that when you're put into the grave, your soul goes to sleep and you sleep in the grave until the resurrection though. Paul said, absent the body present with the Lord, but far better for me to be with Christ. That's what he, For me to live is Christ. And to die is what? To go to sleep? To die is gain. And so there is no... There, now again, that's man's contriving to try to explain things in a light that they wanted to look at. It's like, it's eisegesis. Eisegesis. You take... The, now exegesis is when you take the Bible and explain it accurately. Eisegesis is, I believe that Diet Mountain Dew is the greatest drink ever con, contrived by mankind. And so I go to the Bible with that thought in mind that diet, I've got to find the word diet, I've got to find the word mountain, and I've got to find drink, and somehow find me a place that I can draw. Well, you see right there by inference, inference that diet Mountain Dew was God's gift to mankind. That would be eisegesis. Because I'm reading to the text what I wanted to say. And, and, and the, what the Bible says is, Pastor Tim, get your head on straight. That was not even, I don't even know when it was created, but uh, Steve might know when Diet Mountain Dew was started. Maybe 70s or 80s, somewhere in there, maybe? I have no idea. Has no idea. <laughs> but he knows it's not in the Bible. He knows it's not in the Bible. So that's, that's the shoe of the Old Testament. Let's go then. The second part is Hades of the New. If you're hanging in there, if you've not gone to sleep yet, and not turned your hearing aids all the way down to nothing, let's continue on. So, so far, we've learned Sheol is the Old Testament word, Hebrew word, for the grave, the pit, sometimes use that, or for hell, etc. The New Testament word, however, is in the Greek language is not Sheol, but it's Hades, the Septuagint. 250 B.C., they translated the Hebrew into Greek, and they always used the word Hades for Sheol, always came over to the Greek Hades. It pulls back the curtain a lot closer or a lot wider for us, if you would. As we might expect, Sheol, the word Hades, is never used of the physical grave alone, according to Zodiates. It doesn't ever refer, does it ever, never refers to the eternal abode of the lost. Hades does not refer to the eternal abode. Hades is jail, temporary abode, just far as longevity. The lake of fire is Gehenna. Outside of Jerusalem, there was the Valley of Hinnom. It's where they take the trash, they dump it. I, I work right across from Green Valley Landfill, if you know where that is. I work right, and some, some mornings, on a clear morning, and the wind is, I don't know what direction it has to be, but just the right morning, you go, ah, ah. And, 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 they, and they do, and they, they're not, I just say, I live across from that sometimes. And so, but outside of Jerusalem, there was a, there was a valley of Hinnom. And so they would take and they'd fill their refuge, even dead bodies, I believe. And the worms were always crawling and eating the dead bodies in there. That's why it says in Scripture, the worm dieth not. The valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, that's where it comes from, the same ideology. So when you throw, when the death and Hades are thrown into like a fire, there's no, there's no coming back. So Hades is the current abode of those who are lost without Christ. It should, should be very sobering, shouldn't it, to us to think that there are those there and there are some that perhaps God has put you in your path to where you can help them to see from Scripture they don't have to go there, that there isn't a better place called heaven. So it's the reign of the departed souls of Hades of the lost. 
but included at one time and before the New Testament, before the Christ arose, the departed believers as well. So how do we know that? Let's turn to Luke chapter 16, probably the clearest testimony for us of what we would call Sheol or Hades of the New Testament era and also Old Testament era. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, a very familiar story. Involves Dives, if you want to give him a traditional name, it's the rich man, they believe his name was Dives, and Lazarus, rich man and Lazarus, chapter 16, verse 19, we'll read just a few verses and continue on, 16, 19, and there was a certain rich man which had clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at the gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels, angel man, if you would, into the Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell, Hades, he looked up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. I want to focus on the rich man for the last few moments we have. First of all, the rich man in Hades was fully conscious in 24. Look what it says. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the fingertip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I believe it's very probable, very probable in hell there's going to be an increased desire and decreased satisfaction. For example, hell, Sheol, and Proverbs 27, and destruction, Abaddon, are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Very possibly, it seems that there's going to be no satisfaction. The alcoholic will thirst for just yet one more drink. The drug abuser will shot one more shot of fentanyl or heroin. And the immoral man will want to have one more affair, whatever. There's going to be that desire. Everything you want to put bad in a person's life, there's going to be not partying. I think it's going to be monotonous. It's going to be, you're going to be by yourself. I personally believe in hell. You're going to, it's not going to be like there's going to be a bunch of you to get. It's going to be, you're going to be by yourself. I really believe. If you look through scripture, that's my personal opinion. But I think it's going to be, it's going to be bad in every sense of the word. Fully conscious. Secondly, eternal destiny of the man was irrevocably fixed. Look at 26. And beside this all, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which pa would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Even though there was two compartments, there was no going between them. It was irrevocably fixed. You cannot come. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... Imar Dehan said, once we have passed through the door of death, we cannot pick up our suitcase and move out because we do not like the accommodations. You are home. Can you imagine? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. You're home. It's not what you quite imagined, though, by any means. Now, I'm looking forward to heaven. Aren't you looking forward to heavenly home? Yes. It's going to be so wonderful to be with Jesus who, who died for us. Perhaps you'll take a walk in this beautiful, I love flowers in a flower garden and talk with Jesus. Perhaps there'll be that, he has so many other things going on, but perhaps there'll be a time when you and he, can you imagine that you and he, or you and your husband and wife walking with Jesus for a few moments alone? Well, that'd be like, that's like the greatest, that's the bestest. And that's, first thing I want to say, Lord, is thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying for me. The only reason I'm here is because of what you did in my place. You bore my sins. I just want to say thank you for eternity for that. He's not going to be coming back. 
Dante said, again, abandon all hope. You who enter here in Hades, there's a monotony. I think there's isolation, there's triviality, there's boredom, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering. The worm dieth not. That's the picture Jesus has used. The worm dieth not. So fully conscious, there forever. And thirdly, the man knew himself well enough to know that what he was experiencing was fair and just. 25. And Abraham said, son... Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. His entire life was presented to him, I believe. This, this transfer into Hades did not diminish his self-awareness. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, 27, that thou wouldst send him unto my father's house. Send Lazarus. For I five brethren that he may testify unto them that lest they also come to this place of torment. Now, he believed that what was happening to him was just. First, he says nothing about unfairness. He complains about pain, but does not complain about being unfair. I don't deserve, never hear that, I don't deserve to be here. And secondly, he knew exactly what he should have done. 30. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. That's what I didn't do. But if Lazarus goes, then, oh my goodness, you're back from the grave. Now, are you really Lazarus? I think you're just a charlatan. Come up and you see people today. Oh, pastor, if we had Paul come back from the grave and start preaching, people they wouldn't believe. If I told you I went to heaven and started saying that you know what heaven's going to be like, I went there last night, and here's what I saw in heaven. You would immediately get together and say we need to dismiss pastor from the church, and rightly so. <laughs> rightly so. <laughs> It's, it's, you have enough in your hand in the Bible. It's by faith. Do you see that? The works, remember the New Testament? Oh, if we had all these miracles, even Jesus did miracles, and how, just so very few really believed in him. And their heart was hardened. Now he's become missionary minded. He's more than willing to never see them again. Do you see what he's saying? Oh, I can't wait till my five brothers get down here and we're going to have card, play cards every night and have a big old time down here. And he doesn't say that at all. He's willing to never see them again. If Lazarus would go back and preach to them, he said, my brothers will repent if he goes. And 31, he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuaded the one rose from the dead. There it is. Oh, if we had someone that rose from the dead and we had proof of it, well, they would, people would start believing. You've got the proof. We've got someone. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Look for the proof. It's right here. It's the most proven thing in all of human history. The empty tomb was so well known that by the time you get to Acts, it doesn't even need to be mentioned because everybody, he even said to Agrippa, this thing's not been done in a corner. People knew the grave and it's still empty, by the way. I was talking with Jeremy yesterday about going. To, said the only place I ever want to fly would be to Israel. I, I, I've flown enough in my lifetime, not a lot, but I've flown enough to never want to necessarily go again. But if you're going to take me to Israel, I'll hop on with you. Well, it wouldn't be great to see Gordon's tomb and the tombs and to see Mount Calvary. How that the temple and Calvary, Mount Moriah, both in the same place where the temple was that Christ was crucified. See all those things. See the Sea of Galilee. And, and walk where Jesus, like, like the songwriter said, I walked today where Jesus walked. But you don't have to have those things so we've got enough here. The Holy Spirit can take it. Show us that He is truly God. By the way, many infallible proofs. He proved Himself following His resurrection. 
Someone has, I think, very aptly said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Are you willing to believe? Think back to the, the great the, the, the person at the very beginning that died and his family said, nothing you say will be too short. If the deceased father could preach to that family, the deceased father, perhaps most likely burning in Hades, what would he say? He would say, listen, don't come here. Receive Christ as Savior. He would shout that with his loudest voice. And fourthly, let's not forget that the rich man in Luke 16 was not in hell yet, but was in Hades. Turn with me as a closing to Revelation 19.20. Revelation 19.20, if you would please. Hades is not the lake of fire. Revelation 19.20, we know who the first two uh, indwellers are going to be. We understand that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Revelation 19.20, there's nobody in the lake of fire yet, but there will be the first two people we will see in Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet, his henchmen, that wrought miracles before him, as is all during the tribulation time, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them which worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of burning fire, burning with brimstone. That is Gehenna, chapter twenty. Verse 10, 20 verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Not consumed, not annihilated, and shall be tormented day and night for 10 years. For 100 years? Forever and ever and ever and ever. And then 21, verse 4, no, same chapter, 20, 14, 2014 and death and hell death and hades perhaps think of death as the grave hades were cast into the lake of fire which is the second death and whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire they are moved from if you would the jail temporary holding place to the penitentiary for which there is no parole for i just heard of the man who killed John Robert Kennedy was up for the 21st or 22nd time for parole and he was denied again. I forget what his name is. I think it's 21st time. Yeah, Sir Han, Sir Han. At least 21 times he's been before the parole board and was denied yet again to, do, to be paroled. There's not going to be one parole hearing. That's why I'm telling you, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And there's no purgatory. Purgatory is the belief that somehow you can go to hell or some uh, hell and have all your sins, what you have not confessed, burned off. Purgatory is in the Apocrypha, but the Apocrypha is not part of the canon of Scripture. It's in some Bibles even today, but it's, it's, it's outside the biblical canon. It's there, but it's not in Scripture. Christ forgave me of my sin. If I can somehow go to heaven burned off, then I'm paying for that. You see that? But he paid it all. All to him I owe. Now, should I confess my sin? Absolutely. Should I keep short accounts? Absolutely. But when Christ comes back, I'm going with him. Even if I don't have all my sins absolutely confessed up to that very moment he comes, I'm going. He's not taking back just the Christians who have confessed every sin up to that moment. He's He's taking the Christians who are true believers, I'm telling you, and we should rejoice. We should rejoice that he's coming for his bride. I'm his child. He's coming for me absent from the body, present with the Lord. He's going to come back for us in the air. Oh, what rejoicing that will be. The rich man lifts up his eyes in torment. Descent into gloom, it's very real. But you do not have to go. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And that's it. Now the rest of the verse does say, He that believeth not the Son shall not see your life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. But you don't have to fear that. If you'll come to the first verse, He that believeth, the first part of the verse, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Have you believed? I'm asking you to check your heart. Check your life. Do you know Christ for certain as your Savior? I'm not trying to get to doubt your salvation. I'm trying to think, do you really know? If you don't, get that settled today. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This morning, do you know Christ as Savior? Has there been a time when you confessed your sin, asked Him to forgive you of your sin and to be your Savior, and you believed? It wasn't just some rote, memorized thing. It was, you, you truly believed that Christ died for you, was buried and rose again. You truly know that you are a sinner and in need of salvation. If you've not received Him for the forgiveness of those sins, would you do that today? Heavenly Father, may we be about your business. May the veracity and the truthfulness of your own words regarding this place called hell really fire us up to live for you, number one. Secondly, to have every opportunity we have to, to tell people, encourage them, you don't have to go. Life everlasting in Christ. Help us to be about your business and be your witnesses here on earth until you take us home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <coughs> Let's stand together, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.